Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm happy that Nest Champion is joining us today. Uh, like many of the podcasts, uh, this is another transatlantic one. We have Nest in the UK while I am in Canada. And we just got everything started, as I explained to the first listeners, by um, I had my microphone at zero, so I couldn't hear her, and I was blaming her that she was <laughs> muted. But uh, we got everything going. Welcome to the podcast, Ness. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks. Nice to see you again and hear you again. <laughs> yes, it's good to see you again because we have uh, we're we're on Zoom. We can see each other. So, how things in the UK? You, you did you survive all the storms? Yes. Yeah, we did. Yeah, kind of uh, chairs went flying and various plant pots tipped over and and um squirrels started flying in the trees <laughs> but it was it was absolutely we were fine thankfully obviously um i feel sorry for the people that that lost um lost cars and and bits of houses and and things um in in the uk and obviously some people lost their lives here so it's been a bit bit of a traumatic time for some people but um thankfully we've we've been okay so as i said apart from <laughs> apart from the plant pots <laughs> so how about you? How about you in uh, in yeah. Ottawa? Because did you have storms over there? Or? Well, uh, we we didn't have a storm here. I think we we just sent them all your way. Uh, <laughs> Thank and, you. And I think there's actually a third storm now in five days in in, in northern Europe. Mm. Uh, but yeah, well, here we had the trucker storm. Of course, they mm. they they took the city by storm, so to say. <laughs> of course. Um, uh, that seems to be finally cleared up and, and that makes the city much more livable because there's no longer these, these exhaust fumes and noise and, mm. and, and all the dirt of the past few weeks. So, um, it's, uh, which, which actually brings me to today's <laughs> theme because we, we were going to talk about biophilic cities. Um, mm-hmm. is, is, is your city biophilic, by the way? Um, well, I live in a in a little town <laughs> um, on the edge of of London. Um, I was actually born in London, so um, and anybody who has been in London or if listeners in are in London, they'll know that it's actually quite a green city. Not people know that there's lots of green parks and and there's some green roofs and all sorts of things that are happening. Um, lots of uh, wildlife are in the city, and obviously lots of urban foxes and things. So, actually, in a way, yes, London is quite a biophilic city but um and there's more living walls and things but uh i think there's so much more that cities can do and um, obviously we're going to be talking about that um in in a bit but um yeah i'm going to wanted to share so that's kind of like some tips of people if there are in their own city as well you know what they could do or what they could encourage their their mps to, to kind of or their town planners or their councillors to to do make make a little change um as well as something they can do on their on their own balcony um to add to a to their place being a biophonic city so yeah, yeah. What, what about ottawa lo- is it is it very green what, what people can sorry ottawa no. is yeah it is rather it's badly designed in in city design i think it's a disaster but i i think it's it's <laughs> rather green especially directly around the city and the city is quite spread out as as american cities uh, uh, go um i think the, mm. the the good biophilic concept of of ottawa is that there's the the green belt which is a um a kind of circle mm. around the city with all kind of green spots uh, where you can go to so you can go out of the city to experience nature. I think the design of the city mm. itself is 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 a complete nightmare. I think it, it could have been so much so much better. It's it's I can I can, I can talk for hours about what I would like to improve in this city. Um, mm. 
there's like no pedestrian streets. Uh, there's only one, but that street is so utterly boring because on both left and right of you, of you are just office buildings. So there's not like little boutiques or cafes or terraces out on the street as, mm. as you would see in Europe. Mm. Um, and this whole pedestrian street that they're proud of is, is, is just like, you know, you, mm. you walk through it in two minutes, and mm. especially because there's nothing to do there. Mm. And if you walk through the city here, there is so much potential to make this much more nicer and livable. And well, people in Ottawa mm. tell me that it's actually improved, that it used to be worse. But I, uh, yeah, if, if I would be the mayor of the city, I would just send a team of people to Europe uh, for a study tour of a month and just put down on paper why are cities in Europe so much nicer and more livable and 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 then bring back that knowledge to a town like mm-hmm. this and there's there's so much that can be improved and maybe yeah. now that in the pandemic that uh, after the pandemic so many office buildings will no longer be used mm-hmm. uh, because people are now used to to work from home and not, mm-hmm. not everybody will go back to the office maybe yeah. they can now finally make a change and instead of dividing the city in areas where people only work in offices and other areas mm. where people can live, just mix it up yeah, like you do in Europe. Normally you yeah. live somewhere where there's also offices and there's also shops and there's also cafes and there's also mm-hmm. cinema. And mm. all these things are combined in, in one area. And America, and including Canada, seems to have a mega fit of, of of dividing it in like different zones it's it's a, it's a bit of a soviet approach you yeah it's like, i suppose you're right really yeah so having creating spaces where communities can can come together can con- you know can uh, congregate you share ideas you know you you can look out for each other it's better for security as well better for our mental health and better well-being you mentioned if you were a mayor you kind of you'd, you'd set, send a delegation to europe to kind of like you know give us some tips um actually i was i was um as you know i run a media company and i was covering cambridge clean tech conference i've done that quite a few t- years now and the chinese and hong kong but through hong kong but the chinese have come over actually and they've used a lot of our um, sort of knowledge, I suppose, the sort of Cambridge techni- technical knowledge, and have taken a lot of clean tech um, back to uh, China um, in order to build these fantastic green cities that they're that they're implementing over there. Um, obviously, the huge, um, you know, um, they're addressing huge situation with their um, with population booms. Um, but um, yeah, so there is, is there actually a benefit to travelling and, and coming over to Europe to um, find out what's you know what's beneficial? I was um, I spoke to you before, but I was I was interviewing uh, Robert Bedner, who is an architect for um, Cura Design, uh, Cura obviously Latin being care and, and all these sort of things. Um, but we were talking about uh, biophilic cities and what it is and how architects. He's actually an architectural technologist, so he's kind of on the engineering side. So he's looking at the practical. Um, application of how architecture can benefit um, the design of, of cities. But um, I, I mean, I, I, as I say, you know, because I'm editor of the Journal of Biophilic Design, I learn so much. It's like I've, I've become an expert by default, really, I kind of because I've been absorbing all this sort of knowledge. But um, absolutely, there's, there's so many fantastic things that are going on in, in Singapore, Milan, for instance. Uh, I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but Stefano Boeri is an architect who's doing these fantastic vertical forests in Milan. Um, Toronto, obviously, you mentioned so um, Berlin, Italy, and Switzerland—all um, different places. Birmingham as well, actually. 
um, did a really great interview with uh, Dr. Joanne Leach. And, um, and she was talking about how we can, well, we need to bring biophilic design into cities. And from your point of view, Alex, with the whole sort of climate change and supporting the environment, by its very nature, you know, biophilic design is green. And, um, and if you put implement, if you implement biophilic design solutions in the built environment, hey, presto, <laughs> you've got like almost an, an instant, um, an instant support of of our environment you know everything from air filtration cooling our cities carbon capture carbon storage improving you know water cycles um you know encouraging you know collection of water and runoff and wildlife corridors and biodiversity and um you know so many so many different things to make cities you know basically sustainable and resilient you know i think uh, i think we should we should be doing more really um yeah. I, I also saw in, in the middle of Bangkok, which is not really a biophilic city for anybody who's ever been in Bangkok, <laughs> yeah. but they yeah. have a huge area that they use, which is green, that they use as a kind of catchment area for water, okay. uh, yeah. because it's a city that has huge problems. It's, it's Of course, traffic is the first thing that you see, but it's also they've yeah. been pumping too much water in the past, so they're, they're still, mm. still thinking, wow. <laughs> Uh, the the uh, the sea, le- sea level is rising. Mm. Um, so this was also part of an effort, not only to br- bring a, a green space, but also to mm. uh, to to uh, to to have better water management in mm. in the city. So it's 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 yeah. an example that that works always. By the way, your microphone is touching your oh. uh, your, my, your my, yes, yeah. sorry, yeah. Yeah. my so main yeah. Scratching. It's a, Sorry, the only downside annoying. I can see of these these earbuds that are normally yeah. working uh, perfectly well. Um, yeah. So yeah, you see a lot of that. And you said you're 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 born in London. I think London is an example of a city that has made a dramatic change uh, to the positive compared yeah. to uh, the, the the kind of soup that people had to walk in this this really yeah. dirty dirty polluted mm-hmm. air in, in, in even in the 1950s uh, still. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. that is that is really uh, a change and now it's it's in in several aspects it's a green city I and mean, traffic mm-hmm. is still a nightmare but at least it's it's cleaner traffic there are people are no longer uh, burning wood mm-hmm. uh, so it it is getting yeah. better although still the average life expectancy in 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 london as a city is two years lower than for mm-hmm. people that live in the countryside is that right so okay that's that's telling yeah that's yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned about the traffic in London. Obviously, they're trying to do more with, by putting uh, bicycle pathways in and, and walkways and, and things, which is great because yeah. that's what, obviously what's happening. And, and that's one of the um, sort of uh, biophilic design kind of for biophilic cities um, fixes, if you want. Um, obviously, we create these little wildlife corridors. If you know, if you haven't got the cars going backwards and forwards and you plant, you put trees in and you put walkways in, encourages people to take their um, safe um, bicycles um, down the road instead of their cars, which obviously reduces pollution and things. Um, so I think there's there's more of that happening in London. Where I, li- where I live, in this little sort of uh, sleepy town <laughs> in the middle of Hertfordshire, um, we've got more, we've got loads of bicycle routes and people are very green here. We're very lucky, you know, we have like a farmer's market and those people go there. But I mean, that's actually um, evidence of when you bring um, locally sourced food and people making things and, you know, just a slower way of life as well. You know, sort of this whole biophilic living as well is about, obviously we, we spoke in our previous podcast what biophilia means. It means a love of life, love of living things, love of nature, but it's also about loving 
yeah, loving the essence of life, um, you know, and um, yeah. So, but one of the sort of things that I really, really love and I'm really passionate about is like sort of artisan, artis- artisanal bread, but also baskets that are made and things that are not made of plastic. Is yeah, it's, it's back. You know, just just mentioned the word slower living, but I think that's so important, really. I mean, I've I, I live very much like that. Um, you know, I have like lots of ceramics and and things that have been hand thrown by friends of mine, and and it's just it just gives me a different perspective on life, really, and on and on issues and on problems as well. Just even on a microcosmic yeah. kind of scale, it sort of you appreciate that someone's made something that's thrown the pot, um, which is from the earth. It's actually it's biophilic. It's not made of stainless steel which i suppose is metal and i suppose it is from the earth but it's still been processed <laughs> um you know there's this whole sort of like disconnect so yeah so take, stripping things back to their fundamental parts of nature really um i think is is really good um yeah, yeah. you you kind of feel closer to nature well the the yeah the example you just gave me anything that sounds like plastic or so let's say yeah when i walk with a plastic bag it feels <laughs> different than when i walk with a cotton bag and, yeah uh, yeah that's yeah and uh, of course, that mm. that works much much further. Uh, so yeah. why, why do people put put plants in their room? And uh, there's there's some yeah. good reasons for it. But one is yes. that it just brings you closer to to nature. Yeah, it brings it, you it joy. That's it. Yeah. People concentrate better and function yes. better and feel better when they, they when they see a plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much, so many studies, so many studies on 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 bringing plants. You know, it increases your creativity, your um your well-being I think it brings your cortisol levels down to be around nature and be around natural materials much more than if you shut yourself off from it um again in our previous podcast we spoke about how you know we haven't changed much since our lives on the plains we're still you know fundamentally animals <laughs> we're still fundamentally creatures yeah. you know we're it's only really since the industrial revolution that we've really pushed ourselves into a space where which is unnatural to us we're not part we're not we're not supposed to be um in these, you know, three, you know, four white walls and, and surrounded by reflective surfaces, we're supposed to be around nature and around plants and trees and and feel the air and hear the bird song and, and can hear the, you know, the bubbling brooks and the water and that. So Biophilic Design is about bringing the best of that, the best of nature into our into our lives um, for our well-being. Um, I, I love the yeah. concept. Yeah. What What yeah. is your favorite city of biophilic <laughs> design? If If you were, if if I would ask you to, uh, mm-hmm. to or let's say, you would have to create a tour for some people <laughs> that want to know about biophilic design, and you get a budget to bring us to, let's say, five <laughs> cities in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, where yeah. Where would uh, Where would you take us? Well, I'd, I'd probably go to Singapore, actually, because it's like the epitome of um, it's like the garden city. I mean, what they're doing there, I mean, for everything from the airport, if people um, don't know, um, haven't heard about the beauty, this amazing airport that they've created. Um, there's there's a massive waterfall in the middle of it. So, I mean, you imagine you're on a you're on a sort of cylinder, aren't you on a plane? You know, it's, it's, you're going from one city to another we've all been in an airport where we're like, it's just, it's soulless, isn't it? You know, they've got these chairs that hurt your bum, you know, even though you're sitting there for like three hours because your trains, your plane's been delayed and you've, you've only so much sort of duty-free shopping you can do and spraying yourself with the, all the scents and things. Um, 
but they've they've created something that's a real haven actually so you get a real sense of well-being in between your stopover and it's become a tourist destination randomly yeah. you know it's people I just going the pictures of it i only you remember the old Changi airport but yeah. from 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 my backpacking days and uh and <laughs> well, a so... little bit uh, a little bit as a diplomat as well but that's that's from a yeah. long time ago that i was mm. dealing with uh, southeast asia so i i haven't been back there for a long time but i Always see these pictures of these huge, yeah. What do you what do you call them? Those those kind of the, widening tubes the, and and with green around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the city itself is very green. You know, they're sort of they're they're implementing so many different, um, you know, walkways and waterways, and um, obviously it's a very clean city anyway. Uh, Singapore for yeah, um, no for its own. Gum. No chewing gum, exactly. Yeah, we all remember <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. Quick, don't don't you know. Um, but um, that, that's, that's a really good place. Um, Berlin as well, and Chicago, Birmingham actually in London, in, in London in, in the UK, is is a green is a green biophilic city. They're aiming for that. Plymouth as well, okay. um, that's a biophilic city. There's actually a website biophiliccities.org, uh, which people can look at. Um, and there's probably a city near you that is um, is biophilic. Um, just, just to actually circle back about this, this Stefano Boeri, this architect, and the, the Milan vertical forest. Um, I've, I've just been looking at it actually because I was just curious to remind myself what the what the benefits are, or what you know, what what's what you know, what the, what they've seen, how it's changed. Um, they they use um, they've got like up to two was it two hectares of woodland on this building? It's mental, you know, on the side of this um, uh, vertical uh, high rise urban building in the centre of Milan. Um, it's, and it's absolutely beautiful. They've got trees, shrubs, different plants. Um, they use, obviously, it increases the green and permeable surfaces in the city as well, so which reduces the heat and, and, um, and also the sunlight reflected back from the glass facades. Um, but um, I'm just trying to find the, uh, the thing. Yeah, it's got 100 different plant species, including 15 species of trees, 45 shrubs, and 35 types of perennials. There's more than 20 species of birds that have nested on the trees um, and bushes, uh, such as the martin, the red start, pale swift. Can you imagine what it must be like on, the, on actually living in this space? Because you're looking out the window and yeah. you're, you know, um, different insect populations as well. They've put ladybirds in to fight the plants, you know, the bugs, sort of like without using pesticides. So it's a very organic kind of system. But it's, it's just really sort I of... Love that. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And he also, because I, I looked on their website, but they said it's like a trunk of a tree. So if you can imagine, like, the, the outer of this building is like a trunk of a tree. So it actually turns into a lib- living urban archive. So as it changes and grows and, and also deciduous. And, and so the, it's on the north side, like, so the trees change colour. And so the whole thing, you, as, the, as you're walking through the city, it becomes a, a sen- you know, it gives you a sense of place. It's a, it's a placemaker really what we talk about don't we in, in, in urban design um, which you know generate you know encourages people to come and absolutely um fantastic uh, you know and it absorbs obviously the pine fine yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. see that um, eric solheim is also joining us uh, as, ah. as, a, as a listener and and eric is um he Hello, is really a lot in 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 china and, mm. and also in india and following what's happening there and i remember seeing pictures in china of similar kind of buildings that are it's probably not the first country where you think of when you think about green stuff because we Mm. know about all the problems in Beijing with the air etc but I've I've seen amazing uh, projects there so if if Eric is still listening and has something to say you should just raise his hand or push a button or something and please join us Um, if, um, if, if you're still there 
But uh, yeah, I, I love this description that you just give. I, I know in first we have a green wall in, in The Hague. They made a new passage for, 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 for shopping. Mm-hmm. They created a green wall, which is not very, very, very big. Let's say not bigger than, than an average house. But it does something to you when you're just passing yeah. through and you see mm-hmm. all that green. And it, it doesn't have the, the whole ecosystem that you were just describing. Mm-hmm. But it's... Um, it's it's an uh, it's it's an interesting step, and you just feel yeah. when you pass through that it uh, that it it changes your your yeah. feel of the city. I was Absolutely. surprised that you spoke about Birmingham because Birmingham is not the first thing I would think about when talking about green cities. But I, I must have missed something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've um, they've done a huge amount actually on on green living. They're using game technology and and sort of stripping the the city from a lot of a lot of the traffic. And putting a lot of walkways in. Obviously, they they always say that they've got they've got more uh, waterways um, and canals than than Venice. Um, I always used to joke when they told me about it. I was like, oh, you've got more shopping trolleys than Venice as well, you know, in the thing. But it's <laughs> it's actually it's become it's becoming a really funky place to go to. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, there's they've said the, the waterways, the plants, the um, the all the urban um, you know the wildlife corridors as well that they're encouraging for the. You know, animals to to move through, um, wow. and, and lo- particularly cycleways and things. So, and, and um, local planting, lots of pocket parks. So, it's it's, a, it's becoming a very green a green place. So, the next time you're in the UK, Alex, I, I suggest you you go and have a have a little wander around, not least in the in the jewellery quarter and um, in the sort of go and have coffees and sit outside amongst all the sort of under all the trees. And it's it's a lovely. It's a really nice, it's becoming a really nice place. So yeah. yeah. I should yeah. have a look there. It, 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 it yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not something mm. I would associate with Birmingham. So I, I <laughs> no, must miss something. But yeah. I see the same in, in, in the Netherlands, how cities are really becoming better designed and mm. greener, etc. Mm. In the 1960s, we just wanted to have a lot of concrete because it looks very modern, etc. Mm. We really um, changed all that, uh, starting slowly in the 1980s. But certainly, in, in let's say in the past decade, you you see cities becoming greener and more livable. And, yeah. Uh, everybody talks about the Netherlands as the country of where everybody goes on a bicycle, but it wasn't like that. It's not that that you know we were always always like that, and it's only because mm-hmm. it's flat, etc. It's a v- deliberate policy mm-hmm. that we started in the early 1970s after the oil boycott. Uh, we were forced not to drive our cars because the, we just didn't have the, the uh, the petrol to drive our cars and then we realized that we actually enjoyed the city without cars and yeah. um, the the cities were completely were, were complete traffic jams people spent enormous amounts of time in their car waiting to go somewhere and now we've 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 changed it so much you hardly mm-hmm. see cars in, in, in a lot of cities mm-hmm. anymore and everything goes by public transport by walking by by bicycles um, it's not just that it's it's uh, the country is flat that makes it so much easier. It's also the way that how we design cities by combining the different functions of a city. So mm-hmm. recreation mm-hmm. and shopping and working yeah. and services mm-hmm. like hospitals, etc. They're all you'll find them everywhere in the city. And therefore, it's whenever I live in Europe, it's always it's never far to get anything that I need. And now living here in Ottawa, if I need mm. anything, I'm, I'm tempted to, to order it at Jeff Bezos' uh, Amazon. 
<laughs> because everything's so far. You have to get in your car, and then and it's 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 a hassle. Then you have to find a parking spot, and then you first have to pay in the parking meter, etc. Before you you get something. Whereas in Europe, you just walk out of the door. And and mm-hmm. I, when I lived in Stockholm in the past few years, I hardly ever used my bicycle because I was just I could walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wonder why in a in especially in the United States, they a lot of Americans go to Europe on a holiday because they like those cities so much. But somehow, as soon as they fly back over the Atlantic, they forget all about it, and then they're happy with their mm-hmm. kind of urban jungle cities as as they were built in America. And if you see in America an example where it works, they immediately love it. Take for instance, city of Boulder, that is. You know, like a typical chessboard designed city as as anywhere in America, but they just took one street, Pearl Street, where they said, "Okay, here we stop traffic, and we're gonna put green in, and we make it for pedestrians, and everybody loves it." And mm-hmm. when you see such a successful example, why don't they replicate it in in other cities? And it it, mm-hmm. it fascinates me how long it takes. To make those kind of changes in in at, at least in in North America, mm-hmm. whereas in Europe we we really picked up and and clearly also in Asia. Although I don't, I, I haven't been in Asia for a while. I used to come there a lot, but I I hear that Asian cities are also picking up mm-hmm. on, on more green design. Mm. Yeah, I think I mean like Washington. I was reading about uh, Washington, uh, a building this like 170 million dollar bridge, but it's called um, a bridge park. And it's, it's actually a park on a bridge um, for citizens. Yeah. I think well, yeah. what a fantastic thing. So yeah. I think slowly, as you say, it's happening, It's but it's it's slow. So why is it so slow? It's probably something to do with money and the fact that, um, de- you know, cars and, and uh, fuel, you know, has been really cheap in America yeah. and, and over yeah. here and, and sort of in some, pla- some cities and things. I think, um, you know, it's just by default it's been cheaper. You mentioned the oil crisis in um in in holland and therefore that forced you to go on the bicycles and then you thought oh hang on a minute this is when you're forced into a lifestyle change it's, it's like if you're trying to get fit or something isn't it unless it becomes a habit unless you have to do it it's very hard isn't it it's very hard to make that change so being having that change forced on you for whatever reason is a really good thing lockdown over here um it was in a way it was when I mean, it was a traumatic time but it was really lovely to see people walking out and about and everybody was talking to each other and, you know, kids were on bicycles or on little scooters and you know, people were walking their dogs and talking about nature and saying, God, I've never seen, you know, so much blossom in the trees and, and just sharing things and spending time and, and life got slower and on, on, on many ways. You know, we took time to, to talk and because we weren't in our cars and then we had the, you know, the, the whole thing with the petrol stuff over here and that made more people walk, which made us all think about how we um, interact with our um, consumer activities in a different way. Like you just said, do you walk? I mean, the shop is just a little bit too far to, to walk. Do I walk or do I get in the car? Well, it's a bit rainy. Oh, I know, I'll jump in the car. But actually, you know, when it's, when it's expensive, we don't go. We don't do it, you know. But so we need to have that somehow that mindset to go, I don't want to do that. I don't want to pollute the environment or 
I want to save myself five quid, you know, my petrol. If you really knew how much it actually cost you to go and get your loaf of bread for 50p <laughs> in the in the local shop, you'd probably maybe that's it. Maybe that's the thing, actually. Maybe technologists could work out a thing. And there you go. In your in your car, instead of saying like how many miles per gallon you've got left, they could say like how much money you've got left in your tank or how much money you spent on that drive. It would somehow automatically calculate the actual cost. That would be a thing. Um, that would hit. That would hit people would, in their pockets. <laughs> which would technically be easy, but there's of course a very easy explanation why we don't have that in our car yet because the car producers don't want you to know that. Yeah. And it's, exactly. Uh, I, I am typically an example of that I don't drive much, but if I drive, I never think about how much I'm actually spending. But it mm-hmm. would be so easy with all the technology mm. to just have a sign that says okay you drove for the past 25 minutes and this has actually cost you so many dollars and yeah, yeah if you then look at that loaf of bread that's laying next to you like okay that's, that's because of very expensive loaf of bread so that's <clears throat> that's why you don't have it yet that's why the car industry is they don't want you to think about uh, the cost of driving they don't want you to think mm. about the environmental cost mm. uh, and uh, mm. nor uh, do they um uh, nor do they want to think about uh, um, uh, the environmental, uh, uh, the um, the financial cost. I just see a message mm-hmm. of somebody coming in that I am difficult to hear. Uh, I cannot check that myself. Can you hear me correctly? I can hear you fine. I can hear you fine, yeah. Alex. So, yeah. I'm using the same <clears throat> microphone that I've used in the past. So if mm-hmm. other people have this problem too, then let me know and then... We will have to work out something else, but I'm 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 glad that you can hear me. Then I'm, I can I'm, hear you. I'm quite yeah. sure if you can hear me. Most other people must be able to to uh, to hear me as well. Yeah. Um, but we were on this uh, imaginative tour. We've been now in in uh, Singapore and and Birmingham. Uh, mm-hmm. Where else? Uh, I I got one. Uh, mm-hmm. We were talking about um, this 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 kind of uh, green bridge you were talking about. Um, but there's, of course, the Green Line in, in New York, which I love. It's actually designed by a Dutchman. So that's in the, what is it, on the west side of Manhattan, the southwest side of Manhattan. There was this abandoned railroad track, which is a bit um, elevated. It's mm. so cars can drive under it, etc. They want to break it down. And then uh, people said, Let, let's come with a more creative solution. And now it's, it's, it's a lovely walkway. Mm. It's, 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 it's wonderful to walk there. It's really green and it's, it's just a nice kind of different city experience to walk it down. It takes you, I don't know, maybe an hour, one and a half hours. I don't really know how long I walked there. Uh, but I love to see it. It's a big attraction. And I believe mm. that in New York they are now, in, now also making something underground in an old um, subway station or something. Mm-hmm. They're, they're creating a kind of green line, but then uh, underground. I remember reading about. It. Okay, uh, next time that we're speaking, I'll, I will have read up to that one. <laughs> yeah. so, so, what other cities um, uh, would would be on your list? Um, well, obviously, I've mentioned Birmingham and, and some Chicago as well. Chicago is one of the sort of key cities in biophilic design. Um, again, for all those same reasons that I, I mentioned, really, um, I think what might be quite interesting is to almost like create a, 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 a virtual, like the ideal biophilic city where you would have um, you would have living walls on all your on all your buildings or on a lot of buildings um, to encourage all the biodiversity 
um, and also to have put trees in, which would encourage, you know, the temperature drops in cities, you know, so you don't get these like uh, um, heat islands, we call them, um, have more waterways, so wetlands as well with sort of streams and drainage corridors and, and lakes and ponds with all that wildlife and all that opportunity as well for communities and children to come and be educated with, you know, through newts and, and actually touch them and look at the fish and, and understand how things are all independent, interdependent on on things and how we are as well. You know, it's our food source if you still eat fish, you know, it's sort of, you know, um, to actually have that really um, open connection. I remember reading something about some children in, in a in a city. It might have been London, obviously not every every city, every child in every city is like this. <laughs> but they didn't know they, they didn't know where where what, where a potato came from. They didn't know and they couldn't the identify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they just thought it was, you know, chopped up already or it was mash. They didn't realise it was actually a vegetable and it grew in the earth, you know. Um yeah. I think to put these in schools as well so this is all part of having biophilic cities is actually having green schools and and um encouraging also like urban farming um where people can grow their own vegetables communities can grow their own veg schools can hospitals can i mean imagine that you know you're going getting your salad you know or you're going getting your food i mean you know what it's like i mean i don't know what it's like in ottawa or in canada or, or listeners i don't know what it's like where you are but oh my word it's awful over here it's got it's getting better but when my mother was in it was like this is still bad it's still this bad and it's, it's all sort of like nuked in in microwaves and and things and it just feels all plastic lids on but imagine if you could go down to the to a canteen or they could sort of wheel in um a little um, herb garden almost, you know what I mean? To bring it into the water, you could look at it and yeah. or go down to a certain area and, and sort of pluck it and pick it and put it on your sandwich and, and just bring life into a space which should be healing. It should be a healing space. Um, I think that's really important. Um, you know, green islands as well, you know, creating parks and gardens again for communities to come to and, and communities of animals and, um, and include, you know, encouraging biodiversity and things. Um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could go on, actually, but uh, there's so much. I mean, there's also benefits in economic growth because it puts pro- prices of property up and prices, you know, so it's a no-brainer for, for anybody, really. It's a no-brainer for property developers, you know, stick a green wall on somewhere, stick a plant, stick a, you know, some um, trees and a little forest. You know, you can do accelerated, uh, you know, forests with the that Miyawaki method that I mentioned, you know, where you get a small plot of land and you can have a forest in five years, you know. It's like, yeah. And it doesn't cost yeah. shed loads of money. It doesn't. It's like it's, it's so easy. Just, yeah. just five years. Is this yeah. this this tiny forest uh, concept that mm. originally yes. came from either a guy in India or Japan? I've Japan. It's Japan. Yeah. yeah. So that that you just take the size of one tennis field. Yes. And that one tennis court, mm-hmm. and uh, that you can can grow a forest on it by yeah. planting trees really close together, and it, only local trees, and then a certain yeah. combination. And that you grow forest that fast. Yeah, and the this, the key is it's not exactly, not exactly the plants. Obviously, you need you need local plants because that obviously is better for the environment that they're grown in. Literally, the climate that it's, that it's in, so it makes sense to do that. Um, but it's actually the soil. You have to get the soil right. So actually, the pH of the soil and the balance of that is the key. So again, it comes down to education. But you, you know, you can bring the community in on that, so the children can learn and then pass it on to. So when they go home, they can do it, or when they grow up to be the next town planners and and architects and um, you know and MPs and councillors, they can they can say no, we really want these like yeah. you know 
green spaces for us, you know. I mean, and like I've got, we've got um, cherry trees just outside my house here. And during lockdown, when there were no cars, I didn't realise there were so many bees. I was, what's that noise? It was like a vibration. I was thinking, I'm sorry, <laughs> what is that? You know, I thought somebody was actually soaring something. But it was only when I put my glasses on, because I'm blind as a bat, because I'm an academic, I can't see anything. I put my glasses on and I could see there's all these bees and they were just vibrating around this tree. I mean, imagine having that um, wealth of pollination in every city. You know, we can all do it. We can, everybody can do it, which brings me to sort of the thing of, you know, people who are listening, you can put a plant pot on your on your balcony. You can put a plant pot outside. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to have a garden, you can plant trees and wildlife, um, and you know, wildlife um, flowers, wildflowers. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Wild, wildflowers for wildlife that way around. Um, so that, you know, you can you can enjoy it. And there's, we talk in, in biophilic design about having this sense of awe, which is so important to us. Um, you know, that sense of joy, which is inherent um in in nature and it's it's a fundamental part of being human it's a fundamental part of of being homo sapiens um we you know to have to see but you know it's also the movement i'm just looking i'm so i'm just yeah it's caught caught in my eye i've got the shadow of um a little plant that's on the shed that's just outside my kitchen window and it's incredibly beautiful that it's, it's just waving in the wind, as the wind is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's a bit breezy, but it's, it looks so, it looks like a Japanese print. And that just, that, I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. And so, do you know what I mean? Even, even a little tiny plant pot like that with, I think, half of its weeds, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's still, still serving a pollination yeah. purpose. Um, but, um, yeah, we can all do it. Well, I love your point change. of education, of bringing mm. the, the kind of love for bio- biophilic design into, into education. That at a mm. really young age, uh, you, learn about, you learn about nature. And mm. The way it worked for me is that I was lucky enough to have quite some time with my grandfather, who he died only when I was 24. So when, when I was growing up in high school, he, he was a farmer's mm. son. Uh, during his life, he had made a career, he'd become a teacher, etc. So he left the farm, whereas all of his uh, brothers and sisters remained in that agricultural society. But when he got older, when he was a pensioner, and he grew quite old, he, he, he became 89 years old, and until his wow. very last year, he was still out in the garden and teaching me at, at, at high school age about growing plants and respecting nature and he spoke about insects and that kind of thing and nobody ever in my life told me about that kind of stuff I'm, I'm, i mean like you i'm more the academic reading about it than that i actually make my hands dirty in the garden and but with him it was like yeah that was nature for him he was he he grew up like that mm-hmm. his school was two hours walking away um mm-hmm. and he was the only one really sent to school the other nine uh, that he was the youngest, so they they decided with, with number ten. Okay, this one seems to have good range. We send him to school. Which he didn't do with the other nine. And uh, he, um, uh, but he always kept this 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 kind of love for for yeah gardening and green stuff, etc. So I was kind of educated in it yeah. by him. And I wonder if you don't have that in your family. And I think by far most families living in cities nowadays. Um, won't have anybody in the family that is that that really has that kind of feel and 
maybe there's a a task for for schools to yeah. make us more aware of those things, like like you give the potato example. <laughs> exactly. I think that there are programs, and there are programs I know in in England um, for as part of. Oh, don't quote me on this. I don't have any children, so I'm not quite sure what the technical term and what age group it is. But there's there are certain programs that are part of the national curriculum that they can have have as an add on. Um, that they can incorporate as part of the curriculum to learn about food sustainability and, um, you know, I suppose the sort of cooking, home economics, what it used to be. I don't know what it's called now. <laughs> um, that's showing my age, isn't it, really? Not that I did home economics, I did Latin instead. So, yeah, back to the academic. I, you know, I, I can't cook, but I can, I can recite um, Virgil. Um, but I was just, I was just thinking, because I, I interview, like you, Alex, I interview loads of people who are in this space, kind of living, green living and biophilic design and sustainable architects and and um well obviously not architects who are sustainable but architects who are doing having a sustainable practice <laughs> um but a lot of them as you say we you know they have been exposed at a young young age to being outside to being out in nature to having a um i don't know somebody who's inspiring them and an older person or just a community somebody who's who takes them takes them under their wing really and saying look you know you know, did you know you can make fire or did you know you can, you know, um, grow your own vegetables and look at the beauty of this and, and take them out on walks and tell them stories. And it just it just makes it into a 3D film almost, I suppose. And then that gives you the love of something. If you if you enjoy something, it's like, you know, if people listen to this as well, if you're, but when you're at school, you always have a best, your favorite teacher where you think, oh, yeah, it really inspired me. So if you can do that in the school environment, a young environment, um, and to be fair, you should be doing that with grown-ups too. <laughs> we should be doing that. We should be creating that in spaces where maybe they're sort of soulless or just to try and expose people, even in shopping centres. I don't know how we would do it, but to try and – where do people hang out mostly who are disconnected from nature? Where would they hang out? They'd hang out in shopping centres. They'd hang out in – well, shopping centres. I can only think of that, actually. That's probably the where you the biggest catchment. Yeah. But if if you well, could create – yeah. yeah a space where you, you could see educate that a lot in, in the Netherlands when we have, for instance, on um, days like Whit Monday or something, yeah. uh, where people have a day off, um, then the the shopping centers or a place like IKEA are crowded with people. Yeah. And it's only because of uh, the pandemic when those places were, were shut and, and those people were panicking, like, if we can't go to Ikea or we can't go to the shopping <laughs> center, where else are we supposed to go? Because the cafe is also closed. <laughs> that increasingly, some of them realized that, well, you can actually go and walk in a forest or you can, you can, you can, you can be out in, 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 in nature. And I, I really noticed it in uh, the last summer that I, that I spent on the island in, in the Netherlands, that there's more people now in nature areas than mm. I used to have completely for myself. And other people have discovered it. I always got a bit of a feeling there. I think it's, it's, it's good that they go out in nature, but I want them to go out in other men's nature and not in my nature. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a significant change. And um, mm -hmm. so that's yeah. maybe a good thing that came out of the pandemic. I'm, I would be interested to see, let's say in 10 years from now, mm -hmm. if I'm, I'm sure people are researching it, but, only, only in hindsight, you can see what really changed before and after the pandemic. It's like, like whatever mm -hmm. other kind of 
dramatic changes, let's say the fall of the Berlin Wall, you could only say 10 or 20 years later mm. what actually, uh, what the result was. And I think with the pandemic, we will see the same. I think there will be huge uh, changes in society in for the positive and, 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 and negative. Um, mm. and yeah, maybe this is a, a positive uh, result that, um, that comes, uh, comes out of this. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm looking a bit yeah, at the clock. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to keep these um, uh, these podcasts around um, 45 minutes. What we didn't say yet to uh, those listening now and those listening to this later is that uh, we will uh, do more regular podcasts uh, together. Like Alastair Doyle, I just made you co-host. I found out how to do that. There's a button for that. Um, and we will be maybe every Tuesday. We're not really agreed on times and dates yet, but is it every Tuesday? I think um, mm-hmm. we will do this more often, and we will focus not only on uh, biophilic design, but all kinds of aspects of, of green living, because there's so many developments taking place there. There's every week there's news about it, and and there's articles being written, there's research being done. Um, so unlike the podcast uh, with Alistair every Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, where we focus on, let's say, the bigger news like climate change and, and, and biodiversity loss and, and, and that, that bigger picture, where Ness and I want to focus on is much more the um, uh, what, it, what it means for yourself in, in in your life, the city that you live in, uh, the, the the choices that you can make, the impact that it has on you. Um, so let's let's call it green living, and this will this is a bit of an experiment. So it will uh, develop. Um, what did I miss here? Are there uh, other other elements that, uh, that that we will focus on as well? Yeah, that's it, really. It's, it's green living. It's like sort of tips and kind of ideas and and sort of also probably personal failings on my part too. <laughs> um, but um, I've been I've been sort of doing this for a long time now, living living very as green as I can. Um, you know, driving everybody up the wall. But I've um, I've kind of come out the other side of it and. I know I'm learning all the time and I just, yeah, be, I think that's kind of what we'd be doing is sort of, I don't know, looking at different aspects of everyday life um, and trying to make it look at some things that are accessible and um, and also maybe some new technology as well, which kind of might could help yeah. us or, or not or what's coming up or, you know, that kind of thing. Community, um, yeah. um, pe- you know, things that people are doing on a community level as well and how you can make a difference and what people are doing. So kind of inspirational stories as well, probably. Oh, perfect. So I hope that everybody that's listening now will uh, will join us in in the future. There, it's uh, it's always then just when we're closing down, you see somebody joining. Hi, Derek. Uh, we we were kind of just closing down, but the good news was that you missed is uh, that we will make this uh, a regular weekly thing. Um, it's are we talking about Tuesdays? And I think maybe so. At the same time, we'll 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 yeah. announce it later. So, but yeah. I, I I hope to. Uh, to see everybody back there and in the meantime we will use this week to set up a kind of plan on uh, what and where we are going to discuss because this is such a rich subject um, if there's anybody that has questions uh, then uh, press the call in button which is that telephone on, on the bottom right I guess joining here um, so that's that's the way to call in and then you come in a caller's queue but I don't see 
anybody calling in right at this moment. Thank you all for listening. Uh, now stay on the on the on the Zoom line uh, <laughs> after this, so we can uh, decide on on a time and date. Uh, thank you all for listening, and hope to see you next week. But hope to see you actually earlier uh, this Thursday, three o'clock Eastern time. Uh, I'll have the weekly meeting uh, with Alistair Doyle. And thanks for the clapping. I always love it that at first the end I see some people pressing this clapping function. There we go. Great. Thanks, guys. I uh, hope to see you all on Thursday. Bye-bye.